Hi everyone, welcome to Training with Casey, where we explore animal training and living our best lives with animals. I'm Joseph Laughlin, producer of this podcast, and now here's your host, Casey Covert. Let's get started. Hey, thank you, Joseph. Welcome everybody to Training with Casey. I'm Casey Cover, your host, and let's continue with coming to terms with terminology. And uh, the terms we're going to talk about next, or right now, are all the bridging terms. So you have a bridge, you have an intermediate bridge, a terminal bridge, you have integrated bridging, You also have other modifiers of bridging like uh, audial bridging or visual bridging or tactile bridging. And many people think of bridges as markers. Now, for people nowadays, I can understand why that seems like a really clear and logical term. But I want to pay homage to Keller Breland, who originated this term, and tell you how it came into being. So Keller Breland was a graduate student of uh, Dr. Fred Skinner. And I think he was a graduate student right around the time of the Second World War. And he and Marion Breland became independent contractors for the U.S. military. And they did some really interesting projects. And one of those is they did open ocean training for the U.S. Navy. Prior to this, most operant conditioning was done in labs. In fact, it was done with the animals put in little boxes. They were little animals and they went in little boxes. The boxes were usually about one by one, one foot by one foot square. And tall enough that the rat or the pigeon could stand comfortably in these boxes. I've seen a a lot of them, they're about this high. And there was a feed hopper or a liquid delivery device, or both, in these cages. And most of the ones I saw was in the upper right-hand corner as you look. Actually, I'm going to take that back. I'm thinking of it as the animals looking at it, but who cares, right? It could be on either side. But anyway, when the animal pecked a lever, it would, if if it was supposed to pick the lever, then the lever would deliver either a piece of food or a little bit of liquid. And from this, they could determine like how quickly an animal could peck a lever or how many times they would peck a lever in order to get uh, sugar water or just regular water or a drug or, you know, any number of other things. And this, the fact that things developed this way kind of ushered in a 
thing I'll tell you about, and it was totally erroneous. And that is an opinion that food must follow every click. Correlation is not equal to causation. In these early setups, food generally did follow every click, but not if the animal clicked at an inappropriate time. And I could not find any references. If you know of any, please share them. I've really been looking over the many, many years. I've been doing this for over 40 years. So send me, if you have the references that show where it was actually tested, if it mattered, if food followed every click so in these boxes. In other words, I couldn't find where any scientist ever said that food had to follow every click. It was lay people that came to that conclusion later, as far as I could find. Anyway, the fact is, is food didn't follow every click and neither did water or any other liquid. But another truth of this situation is that if you wanted to deliver food to this animal, or if you were watching the animal's choice and you were operating the feeder instead of the animal, in other words, sometimes it could be set up where if the animal uh, pecked on the lever, it would operate the hopper. But other times it could be set up to, the, to where the food would only be activated if the animal made what had been set up as a correct choice. And this might be an automatic thing that was done by computer, or it might be somebody observing what the choice of the animal was and delivering the consequences. But if the person that was doing the teaching or the testing wanted to deliver food, it was easy. The animal was right there and the food or the water or whatever other substance was right there. But what happens when you start training dolphins in the open ocean? Just think of all the complications. If the animal does exactly what you want him to do, can you always get that food to him immediately? And the answer is you certainly cannot. There are so many things that can complicate life when you're in the open ocean. The wind and the waves might prevent you from delivering the food. The animal might complete the behavior underwater and still be, you know, a swim away from getting anywhere near being able to take the food. And yet he did the behavior correctly and needs to be, that needs to be acknowledged as close to the instant of, you know, execution as possible. Remember the contingency term, the reinforcer has to be contingent with the behavior it reinforces. 
So if the animal's underwater, like Tuffy was when he took pictures of himself at a thousand feet, Tuffy was one of the Navy dolphins. He's a thousand feet underwater. You can't give him food until he gets back up to the surface. But you sure want to tell him, yes, you took the picture. That's exactly what I wanted you to do. Well done. And when you get to the surface, I'll have food waiting for you. And that's where this marker got its name as a bridge. It was named by Keller Breland, who was doing the original work. And the bridge bridged the gap in time between the instant the animal did what you asked him to do and the instant he got any further primary reinforcement, like food or liquid or anything, right? So that's how the term bridge came into being. So marker is a very logical term, but I will always use bridge. Now, what kind of bridges are there? There are terminal and intermediate bridges. A terminal bridge marks the instant the animal completes the behavior. Now you could set it up so you could mark the instant that the animal hits a milestone in the behavior. And you could put segments of behavior together to make a more complex behavior. But in general, a terminal bridge in operant conditioning will end the behavior. It tells the animal, you're done, you did it, well done. In SATs, it doesn't end the behavior. It tells them, you accomplished it. Stand by. We'll either work further on this behavior or we'll change or we'll stop. But the animal gets more information after the terminal bridge. The terminal bridge does not stop the behavior. Whoa, this is such an improvement when you're working on complex behaviors. You want to be able to tell the animal, yes, you made it, but keep going. Now, I just said keep going. Do not confuse any aspect of bridging with a keep going signal. I just did a podcast on that term, and that's a very important term. So the intermediate bridge versus the keep going signal are totally different things. And I don't care if they sound just the same to you. I have tested all kinds of people uh, in relationship to uh-huh versus uh-uh. And nobody has any trouble deciphering my choice if I use either one of those. If you ask me, do you want onions in your ice cream? And I say, uh-uh, they know I don't want them. And if they say, um, do you want onions in your ice cream? And I say, uh-huh, they know I do want them. And some other time we can go over or just go back and see that other podcast, but there's different levels. There's nuances in those terms 
But the fact is, is to many observers, uh uh-huh and uh uh-uh seem to be the same communicator. And they're not. As a person that uses both of those communicators, you're very aware of the fact that they have two very different meanings. Where does that difference exist? Not necessarily in the hearing of the observer, but it exists in your mind. You clearly have assigned a meaning to uh uh-huh and a meaning to uh uh-uh. And you're not confused. And if you said, "Uh uh-uh, when they asked you if you wanted onions on your ice cream, you would be indignant if they delivered ice cream with onions. And similarly, an intermediate bridge is a tertiary reinforcer and a keep going signal is a recue. They are not the same thing at all. Okay, so thank you for going with me for that brief spin down a rabbit hole, and we're going to get back to bridging. So we have the terminal bridge, and we often in SATs call that the success signal. We feel like that's a little more accessible for clients. So the intermediate bridge is the second kind of bridge, and It doesn't tell the animal, you did it, you're done. It tells them you're on the correct path. Continue as you are and you will earn a terminal bridge. In other words, you're headed for success. And we call this the support signal. So that the terminal bridge is a success signal And the intermediate bridge is the support signal. And the intermediate bridge gives the animal rich and continuous and immediate feedback on how he's progressing through a behavior. So you may wonder what it sounds like. It sounds like good, 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 or exit, 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 or kiki, 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 kiki. So in the series of key, 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 and then the terminal will be key, okay? So you have a string of intermediate bridges, key, 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 or good, 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 okay? It could sound like that, that the bridges allow you to have a conversation with the animal based solely on feedback. There's a couple of advantages to that in certain situations uh, because these signals, these communicators are conditioned. The animal doesn't have to do as much processing, mental processing. So it's very fast or salient communication. Now, there's a lot more to say about the intermediate bridge. So we'll probably do a separate podcast on that later. But I do want to emphasize integrated bridging and different modes of bridging. 
So let's do that now. The integrated bridging is how the intermediate and the terminal work together. And I gave, I demonstrated a number of different examples. But here's the thing. Your job as a trainer is to get the appropriate feedback to the animal at as close to the exact instant as they are earned as you possibly can. So if you're giving animal feedback and you want him not to pick up a fish that you laid down on the deck and you're watching it and he's leaving it alone and you say, good, and then you put another fish down. You just told him you did it all the way good. And there you did it. Now we put another fish down. The animal goes toward the fish. Stop the intermediate bridge. He comes away from the fish. He went toward it again. He goes away. Good. And now he gets reinforced. And you can start the whole series again. So when you give intermediate bridges, they are dynamic feedback. It's not like this. It's not good. And there are people that say that you want to have a monotone, exactly identical signal for bridging and I just don't agree at all and the fact that we can nuance our bridges is extremely powerful but it does require you to be fluent in your ability to bridge now you notice the rate of bridging we have counted that and the last time we counted it and we counted it multiple times uh, that was at the rate of 7.82 to 7.83 beats a second, which is the Schumann resonance. The Schumann resonance is sometimes called the earth beat of the earth, the heartbeat of the earth. It's the number of times lightning will circle the globe in a second. It's the number of oscillations of the earth's magnetic core. Now, I spontaneously evolved to bridge at that speed. When the bridge started out, it was developed in 1990 when we were teaching pigs to allow us to voluntarily draw blood from them from their vena cava. And if the needle slipped in any way and it nicked the vagal nerve, vagus nerve, then they could drop dead on the spot. And we didn't want that to happen. Thank you. Took a drink of water. So we taught them a signal that allowed us to communicate that even though they were doing everything correctly, we were not finished yet. And that signal was the intermediate bridge. And we used the sound of X because it wasn't conversational. Although many people prefer to use good, 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 
because it makes sense to them, that's fine. It's perfectly good sound to use for bridge. Of course, I will always maintain that if you're an ace, you can beat me at my own game. Okay. Anyway, uh, when we started out with the pigs, we went very slowly because we projected, we presumed that because we wanted the pigs to be calm, we should have slow, calm bridges. And in fact, it's actually the opposite, that when you accelerate the bridge, it'll glue that animal right to that stream of bridges. We call it anchoring the animal to the behavior. And we're about to do some tests because we actually have a trainer that bridges faster than I do, and she is very effective. So we're going to be testing that to find out exactly what her speed of bridging is and whether or not we might accelerate as a group and get past the Schumann's resonance. As a matter of fact, the Schumann's resonance has been evolving lately and it's always been complex because uh, there's a main resonance, but then there are other harmonics and, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's a complicated subject. Anyway, We've got the speed of our bridging, which is a strange number, 7.82 to 7.83 per second. And here's a crazy thing about it. As I've mentioned before, it seems to be a primary reinforcer. We can start using intermediate bridges without even teaching them. We generally do teach them because it only takes three trials. It takes literally a few seconds to teach the meaning of the intermediate and the terminal bridge. But if for any reason we get caught in a situation, we just start delivering that intermediate bridge and it is effective. As a matter of fact, I have both experienced it directly when I am uh, addressing an audience with a bunch of dogs in it, or when people on the internet are listening to me or somebody else bridging and they report their dogs come up, watch the computer, or they perk their heads up and start, you know, putting their ear up and getting excited and wagging their tail. And these dogs were never exposed to the intermediate bridge. And this happened to me and some of you will remember this. When I came to speak at Dr. Daniel Mills' lab at the University of Lincolnshire, and there are a bunch of dogs that belong to various trainers that assisted in research there. And when I started demonstrating the intermediate bridge, a whole group of those dogs walked forward and stood right in front of me, looking expectantly and wagging their tails. And this was the very first time they had heard its bridge. Okay, so now we have one more aspect of things to cover and then we'll do a little review. We need to cover the modes of bridging. 
So we focused on verbal bridges. Okay, any hard consonant sound will do. And these are generally extremely useful, versatile bridges, the verbal bridge. And the reason they're useful so great, so useful, is because the animal can perceive them from any direction. Whereas if you use, for example, a visual bridge, they have to be actually facing you with their eyeballs open, and they also can't be blind. So in general, an auditory bridge, a verbal bridge is going to be a very good thing. Now, you have different kinds of auditory bridges. I prefer the verbal, but you could use a whistle or a clicker or something else. So why do I prefer a verbal? Because if I am going to use a bridge to anchor an animal to correct behavior, and I'm going to, for example, take a reactive dog past another dog, as we approach that other dog, I can increase the intensity of my bridging as we increase as we approach. And it could sound like this. And then as we pass the other dog, good, 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 good job. You did it. Okay. Whereas with a clicker, all I could do is click, 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 click. And as a matter of fact, I can't get anywhere near the precision as I can with an intermediate bridge, which I can do at approximately eight per second. But a clicker, when we timed a number of clickers, they all took about a third of a second. And they also had a double sound. Click, click. So you're marking an interval of time, not an instant of time. And where in the training process did they go through and explain to the animals whether it was the first sound edge, the first click, the second click, the average of the two, or any other point in that interval? So you've got two sounds instead of one, and it's much slower. You add to that the fact that you cannot modulate it. You cannot keep that animal's focus by nuancing that bridge when it's a mechanical bridge. You can better with a whistle. You can go, woo, 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 woo. Okay, but you're still more limited than you are with a verbal bridge. So I prefer an auditor. Uh, I prefer, uh, I generally use auditory bridges, and I prefer verbal over, you know, just an acoustic bridge. Now, what other kind of bridges could you have? Well, you can use a, a visual bridge, definitely, like a flashing light. If you work in theater, you often cannot use sound. So use a flashing light that the animal can see from where it is, which the audience cannot see and it works a charm. Or 
If you had a deaf dog, you might want to use a flashing light. What if you have a blind dog? You could use a tactile bridge for either a deaf or blind dog. So that one would be a good mode of bridging. There's all kinds of different creative bridge applications. You just have to be thinking clearly about it. If in most cases, if you're not in the theater, a verbal bridge is outstanding. If you're hiding from enemy forces, you might want to switch to a tactile bridge if you're going to be working right next to your animal. If you're going to be working further away, you might use a really low frequency bridge if that animal can perceive low frequency or a very high frequency bridge that the enemy forces couldn't perceive, but your animal could. And so it goes. Now, one other uh, mention about the mode of bridging. And I said, pick a sharp, clear consonant sound. Some people like, yes, 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 yes. I, I don't like that. Although for my horse, who's really very conversational, we'll be working on something. I'll say, good, 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 good. Yes, that's it. And then that is truly conversational with us. But generally, a yes is a harder bridge to deliver than a key, 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 or good, good, good. Okay. And some sounds are problematic. For example, the sound M or B or P. I'll leave it to you to test that out. But spoiler alert, your lips will buzz and it tickles. It's really irritating. But no matter what bridge you decide to use, definitely teach at least two. And once you teach two, you can just change the sound to any bridge you want to, and the animal will get it from context. But if you are working, so uh, for example, a training session with me is often very short. I work, like I want to communicate a point to the animal then I generally will let them rest and then later on we'll pick up another point. But let's say I'm working with a service animal and that animal is going to work for hours at a time. And one of the beautiful things about the verbal bridge is that you can, uh, especially the intermediate bridge, you can use it to support the animal when he's learning or when he feels hesitancy. And then you can get rid of it as soon as the animal has confidence and clarity. And so you don't have to be going around all day going, good, 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 good. You do that when it literally supports the animal's learning or performance. So you can use all these different kinds of bridges, but you also don't have to use them. But then if you see the animal hesitating, 
if he has a little bit of a lack of confidence or confusion, he can get right in there with the intermediate bridge and support him. So these are very powerful things. So I'm going to just mention one other thing about bridges, and that is that uh, they don't require any devices at all. You don't have to worry about carrying another device, having it with you, whether or not it gets covered with fish scales, rusted, dirty, cuts into your skin, breaks, costs money. I have been bridging all kinds of animals for all kinds of years, for all kinds of applications. And I would not trade a verbal bridge for a mechanical bridge ever. Just would not. I mean, I'd be tying one hand behind my back. All right, so let's just go ahead and review this. The bridge is a signal that was named by Keller Breland to uh, cover the gap in time between the instant the animal does what we want him to do, what we asked him to do, and the instant we're able to give any other reinforcer, like food or tactile or a different kind of reward. Some people think of these signals as markers and they are indeed markers. But I love using the term that was developed and named by the guy that actually first did this. And we have two kinds of bridges, the terminal, which marks the end point of the behavior or in SATs, a milestone in the behavior. So in much of operant conditioning, people stop the behavior with the terminal bridge but we don't stop the behavior in SATs. Then we have the intermediate bridge. I named the intermediate bridge and developed it in 1990 when I was working at the University of Maryland. And many of you have seen the video of the pigs donating blood. And that is the exact project where we started the intermediate bridge. So many people use the intermediate bridge and many are not aware that this is a development that I brought to the field. Then we have integrated bridging. None of this is rote. These bridges mark instance of correct behavior. They're not just you know, it's not like you give 20 bridges if the animal does really well and two bridges if he does a little bit. No, it's not that at all. As you are progressing through a behavior, you mark it with an intermediate bridge if you want to give the animal the feedback that at that instant, that behavior was correct or that effort was correct. So that's integrated bridging. And then we have different modes of bridging. We have auditory bridging, which could be mechanical or verbal. We have uh, visual bridging, tactile bridging, and there could even be other kinds of bridging. I'll leave it to you to explore that. 
Okay, so it's actually a really simple subject, but one that some people have never had a chance to really explore and get their minds around. And if you have any question about the value of the intermediate bridge, I suggest you simply try it. Try it with your animals and listen to the last podcast we did with Sylvia Machaleska. And you will hear her enthusiasm about the power of the intermediate bridge and how this has enabled her to very quickly teach her predatory dogs, predatory in that they're Rhodesian Ridgebacks, right? And they're bred for hunting. It has allowed her to teach her dogs to come off or leave game very, very quickly, just using an intermediate bridge. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining in tonight. Tell me your experiences. Tell me your questions, uh, whatever you want to share about your experiences with bridges and bridging. And I will be eager to read this in the comments. All right. Thank you. Have a great evening. Hey, fans. Are you enjoying training with Casey? Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Casey Covert on YouTube. That is youtube.com forward slash C slash Casey Cover. Also, give the podcast a like, share, and comment. Thanks for joining us. Come back for more news and views on animal training and living with animals. Stay at the top of the pack with Casey. This is Joseph Laughlin, producer of Training with Casey. See you next time.